Blog Talk Radio. Man, it was real cool in school if we got good grades Like straight up babes, our parents would take us to a 76 game I got my game and there ain't no shame Big shots of Mo Cheeks and Moses Malone Julius Server called Phileas home Bobby Jones, Daryl Dawkins, and Tony sinking threes Rocky Bobo will come from South Philly But if you wanna make it on time to the show There's only one road that you really have to know So get to Fishtown without all that job I suggest that you drive on I-95 Wanna get downtown but feeling a fix Get on that road they call 676, the most expensive, expensive piece of interstate they ever made. The fellas ain't famous, but they got good game. Get getting on 76ers. Charlie Bartley, this Larry Bird. Get it on 76ers. Charlie Bartley, this Larry Bird. Shoots the middle man out. Welcome to the 76ers Report with your host, Jeff McMiniman and Michael Kasky blomain Let's get into it here. Welcome to the 20th episode of the 76ers Report. As you heard in our new intro, thanks to John Barchard, we're ridding ourselves of the name State of Independence uh, for the upcoming season and moving on to this kind of shorter, sweeter name here. This should also solve you know, some of the confusion between our show name and our Twitter handle as well, which is also at 76ers Report. And, you know, as always, you can follow us on there as well as on the app Stitcher for the latest Sixers news. And uh, we're so grateful for all you guys tuning in. Uh, You know, we set another record for listeners in our last show, which is really becoming, you know, the norm for us here. So whether on Twitter, Sixers Reddit, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, you know, thank you so much for, you know, clicking and tuning in here. And, Mike, you know, how was that for an intro, and uh, how impressed have you been with, you know, the added listeners and the positive feedback in recent weeks? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's just a reflection of, you know, the eagerness of the Sixers fan base in general. I think everyone is really, uh, you know, just really excited about the team as it currently stands and going toward the future. And, uh, you know, it's just nice that we can, you know, get the opportunity to share some of our opinions with, uh, you know, some of the great Sixers fans out there. Yeah, and it's really amazing just how many options you have as a fan today. I mean, obviously, the Sixers Reddit is kind of a new thing, um, you know, established not too long ago. And, you know, Sixers Twitter has been going for for a while now. But, you know, growing up, we just had, you know, opening the newspaper or, you know, seeing uh, something on some really uh, badly done websites. Uh, We don't really have, you know, the access that that fans have today. So um, it's really amazing just how easy it is to access, you know, all aspects of the Sixers newscape here. And, you know, like, I'm really tired of, you know, starting the show off this way, but it's still kind of the the most important news surrounding the Sixers, so I'm kind of forced to do it again. Um, You know, there's been an update regarding Joel Embiid's surgery. According to a source, you know, familiar with the situation from CSN's John Gonzalez, uh, Joel Embiid's surgery is happening in the near future, he also says that, you know, Embiid reached out to the Thunder's Kevin Durant on the best way to kind of handle that surgery, you know, afterwards. Um, Durant reportedly, you know, explained to him how things like walking and showering will be, you know, very hard following the bone graft procedure, you know, things you do in everyday life that you kind of take for granted after the surgery. Some have come to believe that Embiid's delay of surgery is to kind of enjoy the rest of the summer here 
you know, rather than suffer through a painstaking rehab when it's so nice out and, you know, plenty of things to do on your feet. You don't want to be sitting out and kind of moping through the, the end of it here. So, Mike, what do you make of all this? And do you think it's odd that, you know, the actual team hasn't come out yet and said anything about this? Well, first of all, finally, you know, I mean, that was my uh, my initial reaction when I saw that there was, a, you know, at least some sort of a, a report or an update on the situation after the fans had gone basically a month since uh, the Sixers announced the, you know, the surgery and that it would probably take place within seven to ten, ten days until that CSN Philly report, uh, you know, a few days ago, that had been almost an entire month in between. And, you know, the Sixers fan base is just scratching their heads collectively. You know, everyone I talked to, people on Twitter, no one really just knew what was going on. So, uh, you know, it's still kind of up in the air. The the report didn't give a date or, a, you know, a surgeon or a location of where and when the surgery might take place. So as far as that goes, it's still kind of up in the air. But, uh, you know, it's nice to hear at least that, you know, it wasn't the worst-case scenario. Something that I had proposed might have been the case, and some others were thinking that possibly the two teams or the two sides, you know, were kind of at a standoff where Joel was just saying that he didn't want surgery and the Sixers wanted him to have it, and, you know, that's why there had been no information because basically the two sides were just not seeing eye-to-eye. And uh, at least the way I read that report from John Gonzalez, he didn't necessarily seem that way. It was more so kind of like you alluded to. It, it, it was just more Joel kind of gathering information, him and his team, uh, you know, reaching out to sources, doctors, and, uh, you know, a guy like Kevin Durant who's recently experienced a similar surgery. So, uh, I mean, overall, I think it was a positive report, uh, you know, at least in terms of showing that the two sides weren't necessarily at odds over the issue. But, uh, you know, until it, the surgery actually occurs and a more, you know, solid timeline is established, it's still kind of going to be, a, you know, a question that's up in the air and uh, at the forefront of a lot of Sixers' minds. But, uh, you know, it's definitely very possible that Joel delayed it a little bit to, uh, you know, while he was getting info to enjoy his time, as you said. You know, he's as soon as the season training camp starts in a few weeks, it's back to the grind and maybe he'll, uh, you know, maybe that, that that's the point that he'll decide to undergo it and begin his rehab. But, you know, overall, it was just nice to uh, get an update on the situation, and we'll have to keep an ear out for you know further updates about when and where the surgery actually might occur. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice there was an update. You know, I I was happy to see that as well. But you know, I expected this to be from the Sixers, and you know, in that sense, I I just don't really think it's okay. I think it's wrong. You know, I can really side with uh, Bob Cooney's story, which came out kind of just before this report where, you know, he, he explains that he called, you know, the front office regarding the surgery a bunch of times, and, you know, nothing had been returned. And it kind of enough is enough here. I'm, I'm tired of reading about a person familiar with the team, a rival executive, a janitorial staff member at PCOM, you know, <laughs> as a source <laughs> in these stories. Can the team yeah. just come out and say something for once? Uh, you know, it's really not asking a lot. There should be a level of trust established here and, you know, relationships built, but, you know, nothing's really believable anymore. And that's why, you know, I'm not taking anything to be news until it's either official in writing from the team or, you know, there's visual evidence on the item in question, in this case, Joel Embiid's foot. Absolutely. Personally, I don't mind the organization, you know, playing things close to the chest involving, you know, draft picks or potential trades or things like that, but... A situation of this nature where an initial announcement is made through the team and then a timeline that's announced obviously isn't being met 
and you know, it, a, a guy that's being advertised as the potential future of the franchise by the team. You know, they're they're selling tickets by having his jersey and his ad up, and you know, really banking on him being a part of the future. In a situation like that, I think I'm, I agree with you and t- totally that uh, you know a fan base deserves an explanation. Just you know, a follow up, uh, you know, another follow up statement from Sam just kind of explaining, you know, the surgery hasn't taken place yet. Joel and his, uh, you know, his team is still are still weighing their options, but you know, everything is still on track to take place eventually at some point this summer. We'll keep you up. You know, something that's really simple, an easy, quick PR statement that they could send out to us to share to the you know, to the fan base, uh, it's absolutely not too much to ask. And, uh, you know, it, I agree with you there as far as a level of trust you want, wants to be built up between the fan base and the organization, especially at this point, you know, the Sixers are, to put it bluntly, they're asking a, a whole lot of the fan base, you know, over this entire rebuild since Sam took over, basically, you know, taking yourselves out of any sort of contention for two, three, four years and just gutting the team, you know, that, that requires a lot of patience from the fan base. And in return, I think it would, uh, I'm in complete agreement, I think it would be, you know, nice and, you know, proper and appropriate for the team to keep, you know, people informed about what's going on with one of their prized players that people, you know, haven't even got to see play one single game yet. Yeah, I thought it was really funny, you know, when, Jordan McRae came out and said on his Twitter, you know, who are these sources? Uh, I'd like to have the sources that you have. Uh, <laughs> because, yeah. you know, it, it seemed like when all that, that training camp news came out that, you know, he would indeed be joining the Sixers at training camp. You know, he was like, well, no one told me that. You know, where where are you getting this from? Um, it's odd. You know, you, you think that the, the front office is in contact with their players about especially things like that. But you don't really know um, until things are finalized in a press release. You know, sometimes that come out five minutes after a, a Woj report. So <laughs> it's really interesting. But, you know, once again, this is a 76ers report. I'm your host, Jeff McMenamin, alongside Michael Cassie-Blomain. And some more big news came out last night. You know, the Sixers released their new schedule. And <laughs> the only month where I can honestly see them with a winning record is October. Uh, they'll face the Celtics in the season opener and the Jazz in the very next game. They have no games on national television. And kind of rightfully so after their performance last year in their only game um, where they lost to the Raptors 120-88. to So when might we see the Sixers first win the season, Mike? And were you kind of surprised by, you know, the snub on national TV there? Uh, I was only surprised by the snub to the extent that I thought there might have been like some national uh, interest in watching Chavil play a little bit. You know, he's he's pretty highly touted college player coming off the national title, third overall pick. I thought maybe that combined with, uh, you know, Netherlands second year and the intrigue of maybe like a young exciting team would maybe get the the Sixers one national TV bid to match match what they did last year. But uh, overall, I mean, I, I wasn't shocked to see it. I think it was them, the Nuggets, and the Pistons were the uh, the only three teams that didn't get a single national TV game. And uh, you know, I'm not, it's not it's not a shock that uh, people outside of the Philadelphia market that aren't really invested in the rebuild and the players as much don't you know aren't clamoring to see a lot like a lot of 76ers games. So uh, you know, I wasn't shocked by it. You know, I guess Sixers fans outside of uh, Philly are just going to need to invest in League Pass this year if they uh, want to see some of the action. 
And uh, as far as their first win, I'm going to go, I'm going to be uh, optimistic and think, I'm going to say they win their first game and the first home game against the, uh, the Jazz, I believe, on uh, October 30th on the home opener. I think they're going to uh, come out and get a win in the first game at the Wells Fargo Center. I don't, I don't think they'll win that game in Boston on October 28th. I think they'll drop that game and then come home and, uh, you know, kind of set, set the season off with the right tone at home with a win over the Jazz, who are you know, equally uh, young and rebuilding. I agree with you there. Um, you know, I'm going to peg them for that that Jazz game as well, especially with the news about Dante Exum. Um, you know, unfortunate event there with his ACL. You know, just playing in kind of not a meaningless game, but you know, something that you know he was just kind of showing his face at, um, not expecting something devastating like that to happen. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that Jazz game is kind of the most likely one there to start the season. Um, the Celtics, I just think, you know, after that playoff run, you know, they're they're the stronger team there, and it'll be a tough matchup for the Sixers in that first game. But you know, to start the season a 500 team, you know, that's not so bad. It seems like the Sixers have found some recent success. You know, starting the season off. Um, you know, in, in recent years, you, you think back to that, that win over the Heat. But, yeah, I, I mean, it's uh, it's an interesting schedule. The game that kind of sticks out to me is um, that December 1st game where Kobe Bryant, barring injury, comes to town. Um, you know, this may be his last time playing in the city of Philadelphia as an NBA player. Obviously, he played basketball at Lower Marion, um, you know, just an amazing athlete there. Uh, what do you expect the crowd to be like at this game, Mike? And, you know, what do you expect for his kind of ovation throughout the game? Yeah, I would expect a pretty decent crowd. I expect a pretty decent crowd early in the season in general. I think it'll taper off. I'm pretty sure the Sixers had the lowest uh, attendance last season overall. But I think, you know, with the addition of a guy like Okafor, um, you know, the development of Netherlands, the guy like Stauskas is coming in. I think there's a, a little bit more expectation for some, the team to compete a little bit. So I think in general, the attendance will be up. And, uh, yeah, for that Lakers game, like you alluded to, there's, there's a high percentage chance, um, you know, Kobe hasn't said it one way or another, whether or not this season will be his last. He, uh, I believe he said it's something that he'll address after the season, but, uh, you know, there's, certainly a good chance that if he's not feeling it that this could be his last season and then in turn that's the end of the last game in Philly which uh you know there's always been an interesting relationship between Philly and Kobe kind of like a love-hate thing uh you know a lot of people kind of perceive you know they kind of just left Philly and went to Hollywood and never looked back and then there's you know there's some people that just love and appreciate the fact that a you know a guy of Kobe's skill came from Philadelphia you know played his high school ball and came from Philadelphia so I mean it's kind of, you know, an enigma in that regard, but regardless, everyone has an opinion one way or another, and, uh, you know, I think he'll, he'll definitely receive a, a nice ovation uh, on that night, if it, especially if it does end up being, you know, his last game in Philly. That'll be a, a game that I think people will look back on and remember. So, uh, you know, that'll be one that, uh, you know, should be fun to go to. Yeah, you know, I remember going to the game, uh, you know, back at his MVP season, um, 2008, I believe, and, yeah, I mean, it was just amazing to watch how the crowd, you know, was kind of even 50-50 between Sixers and Lakers fans. And, you know, everyone was kind of chanting MVP in, in the stands for Kobe every kind of trip to the line in that game. 
And you could see really the respect that the city has for him. Even when, you know, he came in the 01 finals saying he was coming to Philly to, you know, rip our hearts out here, which he did. But, you know, you got to respect the player as great as he is, what he's done for the game of basketball, how he kind of, you know, took the torch from Michael Jordan and just accomplished some amazing things in the NBA. You think back all the way to his days at Lower Marion and just kind of the hype surrounding him, you know, winning state championships, pursuing the NBA, you know, straight from high school. It's just amazing to see how far this man has come. And as much as he doesn't really give too much respect for the city of brotherly love, you know, you'll see him uh, hit up Larry Stakes whenever he's home on City Line Avenue. You saw the one uh, Philadelphia Magazine spread where he's, you know, in a Sixers jersey on the cover. You know, he has given hints for his appreciation to the city, but that's just, you know, not his kind of attitude as a player to give too much appreciation. He still has to have that killer's mentality and uh, let the haters hate and I'm going to do my own thing. You know, it's kind of been his uh, motive throughout his career. But, yeah, I mean... Philly was home to Michael Jordan's last game in uniform, and I remember that one and just how crazy the crowd went for him. And, you know, it was almost a deafening roar throughout the game, and, you know, obviously especially when he came out of that one. And do you just see the embracing uh, of the fans um, just in a sellout atmosphere at this game, Mike? I mean, if I if I had to guess, I would I would say so. If you know, until he retires, I think any any appearances he'll make here would definitely generate a a sellout. And at this point, I think the uh, a lot of the relationship toward him is kind of tilted toward respect. At this point, as you alluded to, just uh, you know, how far he's come and how much he's accomplished. It, it's crazy to me to think that uh, you know, he was drafted the same year as Iverson, and he's still you know out there contributing and playing at a high level obviously the past couple seasons the injuries have uh you know kind of taken their toll on him but he's just been able to you know achieve and sustain a level of greatness and excellence in the game for uh you know such a long time nearly two decades almost uh, that uh you know i think that alone but basketball wise just kind of deserves your respect and i think a lot of just like true fans of the game kind of understand and appreciate that so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would expect an, an embrace and, and sort of a, a near sellout atmosphere, absolutely. In terms of the way Michael left the game, you know, he had his uh, kind of brief retirement after his father died. He he played baseball, came back, you know, won a couple championships, retired again, uh, had a kind of disappointing rest of his career with the Wizards. You know, obviously still putting up good numbers, but you know, never really went too far with uh, that team. So in terms of Kobe's legacy, I mean, you know, he's been injured almost like the past three seasons now. Do you feel like a player like Kobe Bryant is actually done after this season if he's healthy? You know, I think it would really depend on how he plays, uh, you know, a player that good, I think, He's not like the type of guy that would just kind of want to fade into obscurity in a, in a you know, a role potentially like coming off the bench or playing only 20 minutes a game or being like a third or fourth option. I don't think that that's really something that he would be interested in um, after, you know, just being a lead a top dog on the team for so long. I don't think he'd be interested in taking a back seat. 
So I feel like, you know, injuries aside, that that's a whole other issue if his body is able to even, uh, you know, sustain itself and stay healthy throughout the course of the season. But uh, I think a lot of it would even depend on, too, how the Lakers are, are kind of shaped up. Like if he felt that they were half decent this year and they showed promise in a, you know, a type of position to contend and maybe add some free agents. And, you know, I could definitely potentially see him, uh, you know, deciding to come back if he could still be a large contributor on that team. But if it kind of goes the other way and they're, uh, you know, kind of as expected a, a lottery bound team again with, with not, no real direction and him, you know, kind of holding them back in, in the sense of just as far as with so much money being attached to him and him being past his prime, it's kind of like, you know, they're kind of stuck in a situation where they they're, don't want to push him out the door because he's a great legend, but at the same time they need to, you know, kind of undertake the process of rebuilding and restacking the team to get some, uh, you know, start a new dynasty run and things like that. So, I mean, I, I think a lot of it will really depend on his role and how the, how the team plays out this year. I know the Lakers, for me, will definitely be a, a team I'm going to keep my eye on really closely this season for, you know, quite a few reasons, obviously, that uh, mm-hmm. that first-round pick is still in play coming over to the Sixers from the Michael Carter-Williams trade that they missed that on this year. Um, you know, watching... It'll be interesting to watch D'Angelo, you know, Russell play, guy that uh, I think you and I both wanted the Sixers to nab uh, in the draft and ended up getting scooped up by the Lakers. It'll be interesting to watch him play. And then, you know, of course, Kobe. No one's really got to watch him play consistently in a couple of years. So, uh, you know, if he's able to stay healthy, it'll be really interesting to watch how he kind of, you know, how the dynamic is between him and some of the new uh, some of the new younger Laker teammates he has that he's literally never played with, you know, like Jordan Clarkson, uh, I mentioned D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle from last year who played in literally half of the game and shattered his leg. <laughs> so, I mean, they'll, uh, you know, it's, it's just a whole new, like, crowd of players that Kobe hasn't played with that, uh, you know, it'll be just interesting to watch that team. So, uh, you know, they'll, they'll definitely be a, a team that I have my eyes on throughout the season. Yeah, the Lakers are really intriguing. I, I mean, even just adding Roy Hibbert, Lou Williams, and, and Brandon Bass, I mean, those are three season vets right there. You can really put up some points. They can't really play much defense, but, you know, <laughs> uh, that that team's really going to struggle on that end. But, I mean, it, it should be really intriguing, I guess, to see um, how this kind of new Lakers team comes together and meshes together. And, um, obviously, we'll be keeping an eye on them throughout the season um, for that draft pick. But, yeah, I mean, there's some other games that the uh, team was kind of highlighting here. Uh, you know, Cleveland comes to town twice, uh, once on November 2nd and again on January 10th. Um, you know, LeBron James and Eastern Conference champions there, you know, two trips to Philly. I'm sure those will be some packed games. You, you got the Bulls coming to town November 9th. Uh, the Knicks, uh, December 18th, you know, your first look at Chris Saps-Perzingis, you know, in Philly here. And, you know, potentially Carmelo Anthony playing as well. You know, he had a surgery, but it seems like he's he's recovered there. Uh, you got the Timberwolves, uh, obviously seeing Okafor against Towns. That'll be quite a matchup on January 4th. You got the Warriors coming to town um, January 30th. Uh, the Clippers, February 8th. The Rockets March 9th, Thunder March 18th, and Bucks to end the season on April 10th. So I, I mean, out of these kind of matchups here, Mike. Obviously, when you're looking at the schedule, I, I feel like that Lakers game will probably be the closest to a sellout. But uh, what are some other games here that you see, you know, the fans back in the house for? 
You know, well, obviously LeBron sells out everywhere he goes. So uh, you know, when the Cavs come to Philly, it'll be a uh, it'll be a little family reunion for you and your brother. But uh, I think that'll <laughs> be uh, that'll be pretty close to a, a sellout. Um, you know, I think LeBron has that that sway pretty much in any city he goes to. It's no different in Philly. Uh, you know, personally, I'll be excited to watch not not so much the Knicks, but uh, the Timberwolves, the young team with a ton of talent. A couple guys that I really wouldn't have minded, minded the Sixers having. You know, obviously, and of course Wiggins, uh, Zach Levine is a guy that you know obviously caught caught national attention by just dominating the dunk contest last year. But he's a guy that you know I liked prior to the draft last year. I think he has a lot of talent. Talent, and then uh, you know, of course, the first pick this year, Carl Anthony Towns, matched up against our big dog Jalil, who will be a you know it'll be a, a good matchup to keep keep an eye on, especially that could be uh you know kind of just like foreshadowing of a of a rivalry for years to come between two you know young big guys that are expected expected to be you know kind of like the next group of uh dominant bigs so uh you know Okafor versus Towns could be a matchup that we'll be you know watching for years to come, and that'll be kind of like the first little preview of it. And then, uh, you know, ending the season and toward the end of April 10th, uh, that game against Milwaukee, I think there's still a lot of, uh, you know, there's still a lot of emotion kind of tied to the Michael Carter-Williams trade from last year. I think, you know, he had, he had gained a, a lot of popularity uh, in his short time here with Sixers fans, especially winning the Rookie of the Year award and kind of, he was, a, you know, the de facto face of the franchise for his rookie season and, you know, the first part of last season until he was moved. I think a lot of people kind of got attached to him. So, uh you know, he received a nice ovation and a little video tribute last year toward the end of the season when the Bucks came back. And, uh, you know, I think it'll be that a similar thing this year, not to mention the, you know, the Bucks are another team that is just young and super talented and on the way up. Um, you know, they kind of outpaced Philly in the rebuild process. If you remember two years ago, they had a, uh, you know, they actually finished with the worst record in the Sixers and then really quickly just kind of repieced the team together. They added a, you know, Greg Monroe from Detroit is a you know a great addition for them in the middle. With the you know Jabari Parker will be coming back from his uh, injury issue last year with you know MCW. They just locked up Middleton again. So I mean that, that's just a young team that it's worth keeping an eye on, and it'll be fun to kind of especially toward the end of the season. There it'll be kind of interesting to see how they match up with the Sixers at that point in the season when you you'd think that you know both teams will have the added experience. Okafor will have you know most of his rookie season under his belt, same with New Orleans and so many of other guys. So you know I mean there's it's an, probably another year where you can't really base too much of your excitement on wins and losses. Uh, you know I do expect expect them to win more games this year than they. Than they did last year. Um, I'm sure you and me will get into some, you know, actual predictions a little bit later, closer to the season, as far as numbers of wins and losses and stuff like that. But uh, you know, I would definitely expect a little bit of an uptick in the win total. So you know, there's just other stuff to look for other than necessarily like wins and losses, just certain matchups. Then you know, I'm definitely starting to get excited. I think it's a natural NBA fan thing once the season, the schedule gets released for the season, you start looking forward to the matchups and dissecting it. You get like you know a little bit excited for the season to tip off, even though we still got a couple months to go. Yeah, the analysis will definitely start soon. You know, all, all those predictions will definitely start. I'm sure you and I will be making our different spreadsheets uh, on, you know, the wins and losses and getting into the nitty gritty of things. But, you know, right now it's just kind of, you know, seeing the, the enjoyment that could possibly come in the games that are coming to the Wells Fargo Center, or I guess the center, I shouldn't say the Wells Fargo Center anymore. But um, yeah, it, it should be really exciting. And, you know, everyone's 
kind of getting uh, that itch to watch some, some NBA basketball and uh, releasing the schedule is kind of the start of that. But, you know, it, it's really interesting, I guess, you know, the the Sixers and Knicks are both kind of growing, you know, this rebuild together right now. Obviously, last year, you remember the tank game where uh, St. Joseph's Langston Galloway kind of saved the Sixers in that one by his performance. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in terms of, you know, them both rebuilding here, what would be interesting for you to just kind of see the two different sides and how they handle themselves and which team comes together here quicker? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's they're kind of in, they're both rebuilding, but definitely in two very, like, different rebuilding situations just based off the fact that they have a, you know, a piece that they have a whole lot of money contributed to that they kind of have to build around where the Sixers is kind of like more of like a, a blank slate approach, you know, no no one player is really guaranteed much money at all. It's a bunch of, you know, young guys that aren't, aren't paid much. So it's kind of interesting to watch Phil Jackson try to piece pieces around Carmelo that can, you know, like complement his skill set. And also, you know, like when you, usually when you have a player established like that and you're trying to contend, you put veterans around him you know, and try to, try to make something happen during that time where you have him. But the Knicks are in a different situation because they literally really don't have anything around them, uh, around Melo at all. So they're kind of doing patchwork here with adding some veterans. You know, they got uh, Robin Lopez from the Blazers and, and uh, you know, Flalo also from Portland. And then, obviously, Porzingis in the draft. Uh, I mean, I'm probably obviously biased, but I think you would agree with me that, that you know, position-wise, I'd much rather be where the Sixers are right now in, ter- in terms of a rebuild than the Knicks. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with Carmelo, and that's that's really no slight as him on a player. As a player, you know, he's one of the, the better scorers that I've watched over the past decade um, by far, all the way back to, you know, Kyle, his year of college. I loved watching that Q's team with him and, uh, you know, my boy Jerry McNamara from, from Scranton. Hmm. But, uh you know, like, they're just kind of, the Knicks are really kind of hamstrung. You know, there's only so much that they can really do with the amount of money that's promised to Carmelo over the next few years, uh, you know, so and I don't think they're going to find many trade partners for him. So they kind of have, you know, a, a, almost an uphill battle trying to do a, re, you know, kind of piece together a rebuild around Carmelo while trying to, you know, they're they're an equally impatient fan base to Philly. You know, they're... Uh, the Knicks are a team that have a, a lot of tradition and history, although not too much recent success. But I think the fan base is getting really, you know, kind of sick of non-contending and not being, uh, you know, not even a factor in, in the playoff picture. So I think there, there's equal pressure, just like there is in Philly, um, for the rebuild. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely an interesting angle between the two. It's two, uh, you know, two of the league's more historic and, uh, you know, long, long-standing franchises, both going through some tough times right now. And, uh, you know, uh, it'll be interesting to see down the road this year, next year, which one kind of starts the, the upward climb back to contention quicker, whether it be, you know, a Carmelo-based Knicks team or if whether the Sixers start to really develop this young core um, of their own guys. Yeah, and I mean, obviously they had a rivalry of futility, uh, you know, kind of in the past two seasons here. Do you see those two teams kind of, you know, developing a rivalry now? You know, they got their big man in Przingis. Sixers have their big man in Okafor. Um, Do you see just that kind of developing again into maybe a rivalry it used to be? Yeah, it certainly has all the makings, too, especially you you just alluded to. They both both kind of just got their big guy of the future. 
Uh, you know, Porzingis will obviously play a, a large part in the Knicks rebuild coming up, and Okafor figures to be a huge part in the Sixers. So, I mean, that in and of itself, combined with just how many times, you know, being in the same division, how many times you're, we're going to see the Knicks and the proximity of the two cities in the history, you know, obviously the Sixers and the Knicks both go back as franchises. So there's, uh, you know, I think it's easier to kind of reignite a rivalry that's been sleeping than, you know, time to kind of make an entirely new one. So I think with the history that's already there between the two franchises and the fact that they're both kind of, uh, you know, up or trying to be up and coming at this point, I think there's definitely, you know, the making of a, of a good rivalry there to, uh, you know, to kind of build on going forward. Well, moving on from, you know, kind of the schedule release, late Wednesday night, you know, after they released the schedule, we heard that Malik Rose is leaving the broadcast booth and heading into a front office position with the Atlanta Hawks. Mike, how big of a loss is this for both, you know, the fans at home and the organization as a whole? Man, just, you know, just when you think the summer couldn't get any rougher for the Pitchers fans, I mean, that, that, that was devastating, honestly, when I saw it. Uh, you know, I was lucky enough to get to attend a lot of the games last year, so I wasn't watching all of them live on, you know, on TV. But at any time I was watching one on TV, he, Malik has added so much to the experience, uh, you know, from a viewer perspective. You know, he, he was lighthearted and easy to listen to, but at the same time super, super knowledgeable. And he, he uh, you know, expressed that knowledge in a way that was relatable and understandable to kind of just like a common viewer. And, I mean, on a personal level, there was nobody nicer. I mean, I, you know, I was – you know, lucky enough to get to interact with him quite a few times at the uh, at the Wells Fargo Center during games and whatnot. And he was, you know, nothing. He was always nothing but, uh, you know, extremely personable and nice. He always had a smile on his face and seemed, you know, genu- genuinely happy to be doing what he was doing, you know, calling the games for the Sixers. And he was super good at it. So, I mean, it's one of those situations where, uh, you know, that you never thought that that was necessarily his long-term goal. And, you know, as far as a retired player in the NBA that's still reasonably young, there was probably always greater aspirations there as far as, you know, probably some sort of front office role like the one he just landed. So, I mean, it's a situation, like, where, where you're just really happy for a guy that was, you know, great for the organization and was a nice guy. But at the same time, you're, you know, disappointed because he certainly added a lot to the Sixers broadcast booth over the past few years. And, uh, you know, him and him and Mark really just had a, a nice chemistry developed between the two of them. And, uh, you know, he's definitely it's going to be difficult to fill his shoes with whoever the, the team, you know, gets to bring in to replace him. But, uh, yeah, what about you? What was your reaction when you saw that news? Yeah, I mean, Joel Embiid's second surgery was one thing. Uh, losing Malik Rose is, is up there. Uh, I mean, just a fantastic broadcaster, you know, made watching the losing tolerable, you know, just a great pairing with him and Mark Zumoff. You think back to the days of Eric Snow where he's rumored to be falling asleep on air, you know, while they're on camera, to, uh, you know, Malik Rose where just, phenomenal broadcaster you think back to noel's block on james harden and how he uh tried his best to to cover up a curse word there with uh get that sweet honey or <laughs> whatever it was yeah. uh yeah. so yeah i mean it, it's just amazing you know the, the calls he made all season were hilarious you know made everyone kind of tune in the the listeners that were actually listening there's a few and in between, but yeah, I mean, it, it made our jobs a little better just uh, having a guy like that around and, you know, it was a lot more enjoyable going down to the arena and, 
you know, seeing Malik and, you know, seeing him do his thing and kind of grow in this profession. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm so happy for him, especially to go to an organization like the Hawks who had the second best record in basketball last season and were on that incredible win streak and, you know, just everything they did last season, that turnaround. Yeah, I, I mean, it's awesome. I wish all the best for him. I'm sure he'll he'll do great in his new job. And, you know, we'll we'll sorely miss him here in Philadelphia. Yeah, but, I mean, it's rough for Sixers fans because, you know, personally, I, I watch a lot of league pass, uh, you know, when, when there's no – when the Sixers games are on or whatever – and you know a lot of a lot of the broadcast teams that you catch on on the local stations are just you know to put it bluntly are just boring. I mean they they just don't really have you know Malik he brought just like a certain level of like energy and enthusiasm and you know humor to to the booth uh, and like relatability. You know he he just was really passionate about what he did and you could tell that him and him and Mark had a had a really good chemistry and they genuinely liked each other, which obviously you know it's really important and. As far as for a two man like broadcast team like that for you know genuine genuine chemistry uh you know it was just really evident and then you know that's my greatest fear now you don't know necessarily who they're gonna bring in but uh you know some of them some of the broadcast teams I'm not trying to like call anyone by name but particularly I remember listening to a couple late night jazz games um a couple uh a couple wizards games that were just uh, you know unbearable between like monotone and guys that weren't necessarily knowledgeable about you know the the opponents and the, the players on the other teams and that was just something you know Malik was super knowledgeable he knew you know not only the ins and outs of the Sixers but the ins and outs of you know every team that they played and their players and he you know he, he just made it enjoyable to listen to and uh you know it's not it's not necessarily going to be easy to fill uh fill his role in the broadcast booth here yeah, and I, I kind of had a sense that he was on his way out. I mean, we read that Bleacher Report article where he really revealed a lot about uh, kind of his feelings about the team. And normally, you know, you wouldn't say something like that if, you know, you're going to cover that team the following season. It was a little too revealing for me. I don't know if you read that as well. It was a little too open, and um, I'm sure, you know, that had something to do with him, you know, knowing he was on the way out of there, knowing he could be honest and open about, you know, the way things went. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it, like it a little bit, you know, uh, he, was, uh, he was always like an honest and open guy as it was. But, uh, you know, I think he had, I think he had made it clear before that he had interest in, uh, you know, a front office job and, you know, if it wasn't available necessarily with the Sixers, uh, you know, he had his eyes open. There was that report earlier in the year, or early in the summer, um, you know, that he was offered a, a job uh, for the college program. I'm blanking out whether it was Alabama. Al- Alabama, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, he he turned that down, you know, to much the relief of a lot of Sixers Twitter. Uh, you know, I think people were concerned he was going to take that. But uh, I remember reading a report shortly after that that said, uh, you know, he appreciated the offer, but he was kind of holding out for a, an opportunity where he wanted to stay up in the NBA and, uh, you know, potentially get a front office opportunity. So, you know, I think that his doing the the, uh, the commentary was a way to kind of, you know, just get, stay in the league and do something that he truly enjoyed while he, you know, tried to work toward a front office role. He's certainly, uh, you know, educated and knowledgeable on the game itself and the teams and the players. So it's no, it's no surprise overall that, uh, you know, the move was made eventually. I think that's all we've got for the show today. Uh, once again, this was the 76ers Report. I'm your host, Jeff McBenamin, alongside Michael Katsky-Blomain. 
Follow us on the app Stitcher, and uh, we'll catch you next time with some more Sixers updates. And thanks again for tuning in. Eighty-two man, it was real cool in school. If we got good grades, like straight up babes, our parents would take us to a '76 game. I got my game, and there ain't no shame. Big shots of Mo Cheeks and Moses Malone, Julius Irving, called Philly is home. Bobby Jones, Daryl Dawkins, and Tony sinking threes. Rocky Balboa will come from South Philly, but if you wanna make it on time to the show, there's only one road that you really have to know. So get to Fishtown without all that job. I suggest that you drive on I-95. Wanna get downtown, but fit in the fix. Get on that. Road. They call 676 the most expensive, expensive piece of interstate. They ever made the battles they ain't famous, but they got the game. Getting on, getting on 76ers. Charles Bartley, this Larry Bird.